for that clarifying conversation <laughs> about covenant. This is an exciting Sunday, whether you know it or not, in an exciting month, whether you know it or not, uh, at least liturgically speaking. Uh, this is a Sunday after we have emerged from the Christmas 12 days of feasting to Epiphany, and we celebrate the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan this morning. Something new has begun. And so on this Sunday morning, we baptize as well those who are bringing children or themselves for that covenant purpose. And we have done that task this morning at other services for infants baptized, one being baptized across the way right now. And uh, St. Paul's adds a special other quality to this season of our lives uh, by introducing some years back, and um, again this year, Covenant Month. And today is the launch of Covenant Month. And so in the launching of Covenant Month, I'd like to ask and attempt to answer three questions. The first question is, what is a covenant? And the second question is, what is the benefit of a covenant? And the third question is, what are we doing in this month? What are we doing as people of the covenant? So first question, what is a covenant? Covenant establishes a relationship. The obvious one that might come to your mind immediately is the covenant of marriage. And in that establishing of a relationship, a new identity comes into being. John and Mary are no longer simply individual entities or individual persons. John and Mary are now with a new identity as Mr. and Mrs. Wilson, following the tradition of a common last name. This is a covenant between two equals, and it has all sorts of grand and glorious benefits. The more common covenant that is spoken of in the Bible is a covenant between two unequal part parties. One's the stronger party, one is the weaker party. And there is understanding from that historical heritage of covenants that were made between a greater king and a lesser king, and usually lesser kings. And so the greater king, you might say the fellow with a capital K, um, had dominion over several other lands or nations, and so he was the king above the other kings. He was the stronger one, and the lesser kings would, become, would come under his governance and his rule, the stronger and the weaker. But before we go further than that, let me offer a covenant from the Jewish side of the picture. This is from a rabbi. His name is Jonathan Sachs. He was addressing a bunch of Episcopalians or a bunch of Anglicans in England a few years ago about covenant. And he made these helpful distinctions. He said, a contract is a transaction. A covenant is a relationship. Or he went on to say, a contract is about interest. A covenant is about identity. And then he went on to say, it is about you and me coming together, 
see, to form this new identity, to form an us. And so he concluded, that is why contracts benefit, we say do, but covenants benefit as well as transformed the individuals involved in the covenant. And interestingly enough, in this heritage in which we live, from the Old Testament and the New, covenant almost invariably involves blood. Blood. It almost invariably involves a name change. Abram becomes Abraham. Saul becomes Paul, and there is a new identity that has been created and forged. And with the covenants come certain promises. They are a particular kind of promise that's used especially in covenant making, unlike any other kind of agreement. And they are called self-maledictory oaths. Isn't that a mouthful? self maledictory oaths. And so the covenant participant will say, if I am not able to keep this covenant, may all these things that are awful happen to me. And in that picture of blood being shed and an animal being sacrificed to forge this covenant, may my life look like that dead animal's life if I do not keep the covenant. And so there's this idea uh, that it has, it, is, it has such importance, such significance, such priority in a person's life that one is real, even willing to say, may these curses come upon me if I do not keep the covenant I am making. In the Bible, there are seven primary covenants. Six in the old, only one in the new. In fact, you may already know this, or if you're taking Latin, you young adults, you may know this, that the word for covenant in Latin is testament. So the Old Testament of the Bible is the Old Covenant of Scriptures. And the New Testament of Scripture is better understood when it is described in its proper word, the New Covenant. Primary of the covenants of the old covenant are the covenant made with Abraham, a portion of which we heard this morning, and the covenant made with Moses on Mount Sinai, a portion we would have to hear another time. So, what is a covenant? It establishes a relationship, a new identity comes into being. There are covenants between two equals. The more prominent covenants of the Bible are covenants between two unequals, the stronger and the weaker. Question number two, what is the benefit of a covenant between two unequal partners? And especially, what is the benefit to the weaker one, to the stronger one? And in those days, it was significant. In the covenant making between two unequal partners, the weaker one was promised protection, provision, security. That's huge. In other words, 
that enemy of mine that lives across the river, will, I will protect you from him if he crosses the river. That's security. And that famine that afflicts your land because you're in an arid region compared to us, we will provide for you in a time of scarcity, security, peace. The benefit is huge. Now, brothers and sisters, what then would be the benefits of us to live in a covenant? We live a life that has a lot of uneasiness about it and a lot of insecurity about it. Disease, accident, tragedy, broken relationships, We live with uncertainty and doubts and fears and ambiguity outside the covenant that is offered to us. In religious terms, you might call our lives as lives lived in the wilderness, and it's not a safe place. Or life lived in exile, separated and alienated. There are lots of ways we could describe that, but the truth of the matter is we experience that separation, alienation from our Creator in us at times. We experience it very, uh, in a very real way between others and us. We even experience it between us and our inner self. Sometimes a person will say, I don't like myself very much right now. Sometimes a person will say, why can't I stop doing this, this thing that has gotten a hold of my life? This addiction, it's tough, alienation in every way. The benefit of a covenant for those of us living in this insecurity and uncertainty is the same benefit we've already described, a lesser kings and weaker kings, greater kings and weaker kings. The stronger party provides protection, provision, security to a weaker party. Covenant is a very good thing for the weaker party if the conditions are right. Now, we've just read a very heady passage out of the book of Genesis. I want to look at it again quickly, but we do need to uh, just unpack this a little bit. Uh, Admirable credit to the Reverend Mike Breen, who was here in 2006, six years ago, who gave the most marvelous teaching on covenant that I had ever heard up to that point. And I'm leaning on or uh, standing on his shoulders today, if you will. But here we have it. A lot's happened since chapter 12. We're in chapter 15. From Abraham's standpoint, not enough has happened. Way back there in chapter 12, three chapters ago, Abraham has had a God encountered. And he has been promised that he will be the father of many peoples, many nations. He has been promised that he will be given this land. It's a good land flowing with milk and honey. He has been promised that he will be blessed. And those who tend to go against Abraham, God himself will go against as well. But those promises have not come to fulfillment by the time we get to chapter 15. Abram doesn't even have a child And he's beyond childbearing age. And he does not possess the land. And he's wondering about these promises God has made. Come chapter 15. 
didn't see this, it won't be on here, but uh, come chapter 15, Abram, Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And it goes on from there. But God responds to him with this verse here. He is the Lord, and him is Abram. The Lord also said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He brought you from Iraq into this better land to give you this land. But Abram says, Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Abraham is a covenant man living in a covenant culture. And he understands exactly what the Lord is is going to direct him to do and prepare him to do. The Lord says to him, Okay, Abram, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram. Bring me a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham is excited at this point in this conversation because bringing these animals into the picture, it's time for some blood to be shed and for something to be ratified and a covenant to be cut. In the Old Testament, you never make a covenant. If you read in your Bible anywhere where it says, and they made a covenant, The Hebrew word is they cut a covenant. The word is berith, and it's cutting a covenant. Blood's going to be shed when a covenant is made because of the significance of the event. Abram, bring me these animals. Abraham brought them, arranged, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. So he cut them from stem to stern, from toe to, uh, from nose to tail, and lay them apart, these carcasses, carcasses, and a corridor of blood that was between the carcasses and entrails as well, no doubt. Now, it doesn't say it here, but no doubt in the fulfilling of this covenant, in this old covenant-making way, Abraham would have been standing at one end of this trail, this corridor of blood, and the Lord would have been representatively over there. And Abram makes his way through there and is offering a maledictory oath, a self-maledictory. And may this happen to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain. But how is the Lord going to move between these carcasses to ratify this covenant? The sun is setting. It's that mysterious time of the day. Not dawn, another good mysterious time, but dusk. The sun is setting. Abram falls into a deep sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. This is using words beyond their limit to fully explain to us what is happening here. One of our modern day poets in frustration says, you know, words sometimes they strain, they crack, they even sometimes break. Here is a poetic imagination writing this description of what has happened doing the best he can to communicate to you, there is dusk, there is darkness, there is a a man falling into some sort of trance, a deep sleep. And in verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Well, we're Anglicans. We understand sacraments. And sacraments are outward and visible signs of inward and spiritual graces or truths. And the great image, the Old Testament, Old Covenant image of God's presence is fire and smoke. They are both mysterious in themselves. 
fire that gives off heat and light, that burns and yet mysteriously um, doesn't you know, just go out of control and yet um, provides heat and light in a mysterious way. And smoke, anti-gravity matter. Smoke, the only thing that seems to, rather than being pulled down by gravity, ascends away from gravity and ascends to the heavens. Fire and smoke, symbols of God's presence through the old covenant story. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Verse 18. On that day, the Lord cut a covenant with Abraham. And then he told him again, Abram, to you and your descendants, I give you this land. The story will continue in the 17th chapter when there's more cutting, more bloodshed, and more ratifying in the covenant of circumcision. But we don't have time for that today. We've got the point, though. The benefit to this lesser participant in the covenant is the promise of a special place to dwell And the promise to be the father of many peoples. What are we to do? Third question. What are we to do with this month, January 2012, with this year 2012, with our covenant with Jesus? Because there are a few things that are obvious. We are not creating a covenant with God this month. We're not cutting a covenant with God this month. The covenant has already been cut. 2,000 years ago, upon the cross, another individual, a person, a sacrifice, was splayed out upon the cross and shed his blood in a covenant-making ceremony as he offered himself for the sins of the world. As he fully identified with our own alienation and separation, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He fully identified with our alienation and separation so that we could be fully identified ultimately with His righteousness, being made right with God through this covenant. So we're not creating a covenant this month. We're not cutting a new covenant. What we are doing is we are remembering the covenant God has made with us in Jesus. Or you might say, we are saying yes to be a participant in this covenant in an intentional way. It may be for the umpteenth time, or it may be excitedly for the first time. A serious participant partaker in this covenant. Jesus says to you and to me, I offer you in my covenant Protection, provision, security in your very insecure, unsafe world in which you live. I offer you, Jesus is saying, certainty. Certainty even about death's final word, which is not a final word anymore. Do you know what the New Testament word for certainty is? Faith. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is certainty 
and the promises and plans Jesus has for our lives. We could go on and on about this, but I have a short list of the provision of his covenant. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Jesus says, I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, saved. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I am with you always in all circumstances of your life as you receive me there. So, January, we are remembering our covenant. Paul writes, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You're, you're part of this covenant and heirs according to the promise. Paul writes of Christ identifying himself with us and says this, God made Christ to, who had no sin to be sin for us. He identifies with us and takes us, takes on our sin. And Paul continues, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. And Christ's righteousness is given to us. And we are made righteous people. We remember then that we have a new identity. Mike the sinner, new name, is Mike the son. Linda the sinner is Linda the daughter. Or better said, Linda the daughter is Linda the disciple. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, you are also an heir. So in this covenant-making task, we want to give you some tools to use, those of you who want to take this to heart and receive the benefits that are available to us and to you. We have a handout. We're going to do it right now. And, uh, and this comes with an assignment. And I've got to find a cheat sheet to describe this to you briefly. We're handing out two kinds of covenants. One is for everybody from middle school and older. And the other is for everyone below middle school. And we are inviting and directing parents or grandparents to be responsible for the children's covenant with your kids at home. We're not going to do it here at church. We're not going to do it in kids' chapel. We want you to help them with their children's covenant the middle school and high school and adults is for you to tackle, obviously, on your own. Take these covenants home and these instructions home with you. Have one for every person in your household. Read them. Read over the directions and instructions. Pray over them and pray over your life. And then at the climax of this, 
write a letter to God. Whatever you want to say to him about your covenant relationship with him and what it would look like for 2012. What are the implications of that for 2012? It's not a to-do list, obviously. Write a letter to God. On January 29th, the last Sunday of January, we invite everyone to bring your covenants back here to the church, to this worship. And we will have a special blessing and a special celebration. No one will read your letter to God. They will not be left here. We want you to take them back home with you so you have them for reference in the year ahead. But we'll have some sort of sacramental something for you to take and bring as an offering as well that we will leave here as a mark and sign of this community's covenant with Christ also. But your letter to God is yours between you and Him, and you will take it back again. But on the 29th, bring it here. And as we are remembering the covenant, we will be renewing our covenant. That's our task over these next few weeks. Taking time to decide how you wish to live under it. Remembering, renewing, But most important of all, brothers and sisters, the people of the covenant, you, most important of all, rest in his covenant. Rest in his covenant. God's grace, God's assurance of protection, provision, security for all who live under his covenant is a guarantee. He shed his blood and offered his life in the cutting of this covenant to guarantee that it would be secure for all time. Jesus, in the last hours of his life, says this to his covenant brothers and sisters. He says, I have told you these things. He taught and told them a lot. We've heard some of it earlier in this sermon. So that in me you may have peace. Peace comes with certainty. Certainty comes with peace. And Jesus reminds them and us, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And remember, and you are in covenant with he who has overcome the world. Protection, provision, security, certainty. Hallelujah. Amen.